Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Hey everyone, thank you for joining Panoramic Outdoors. This is episode 169, and we've got an awesome episode coming right at you. Of course, we got to do a quick intro with me and my buddy Tristan. I see you're out fishing there not long ago. I did get out. I did get out, indeed. It. Uh, we. I finally got a full day on Big Windy. If for those of you who are local, Big Windy is what we lovingly call Lake Winnipeg more so the south basin of Lake Winnipeg, um, and finally tied into a few fish. Nice. And you got some some awesome ones you posted on Instagram. Did you happen to mark that spot on iHunter so I can maybe find it when I come down south? <laughs> you know, funny story, I actually did because Tyler was texting me to just drop him a pin, drop him a pin, and I kept trying to do it through Apple Maps just because my I wanted to keep fishing. He was texting me just as I caught that big fish. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I was just trying to do it super quick, like share location, share location, and I keep timing out on him. So I said, fuck oh. it, and I switched over to iHunter as quickly as possible <laughs> and, and and said, just texted him, said, I sent it an iHunter go, and that, that came through like crystal clear. Yeah, well, that's what happened when I was out there last winter. <clears throat> we're staying with, um, we're staying in one of those ice castles or whatever it was. So he was coming out on a sled, and a sled broke down. So he's like, can you come get me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And he was trying to send a pin as well that way. And then I'm like, we'll send it on iHunter. It worked right away. I found him and like, well, I found him eventually, but it worked way better than, than anything else. But yeah. Um, if anybody know, doesn't know what iHunter is, they're a big supporter of Panoramic Outdoors. They're Canada's number one digital hunting companion. So they're connecting you with the data you need wherever or whenever you want to, wherever you want to go. So if you're looking to uh, get a new app to help you out with uh, scouting, obviously ice fishing this year or whatever it may be check out iHunter. Uh, I know they'd appreciate it. And we do as well. Tristan, the other thing I was going to mention to you, I went out to uh, all train bear hunts this past weekend uh, or on boxing day, I guess the day after Christmas. And um, we slaughtered the walleye. Oh, like you nailed them. Oh, it was unbelievable. Like probably the best fishing I've ever had there. And all like we caught some, some decent big fish, like, like no masters but like some some nice big fish but generally let's say about 70 percent of the walleye we caught were over 16 inches 16 to the 20 inch range so it was always like a good you never know what this is going to be until you know what i mean like it yeah, was just yeah. a good fight and uh, caught a lot of jack and a couple perch but i bet you there's six of us i bet you we iced over 100 fish uh that afternoon and it was like a 12 to 4 fish like four hours like it was unbelievable well, i gotta ask you then because like when we were up there, what was the difference? Because all we kept hitting was perch. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And... I don't, I don't know what the difference would have been there. I, I talked to Corey about it, and he said, "Yeah, he's like, it's always really great for walleye fishing. Like at the start, there's different times throughout the ice fishing year where he, he says he sees it better. But he, uh, he even kind of like let the cat out of the bag. Like he hasn't seen it like that in a long time either. So that's really promising for out there, right? So for sure, that's good to yeah. hear." Oh, you yeah. gotta love a day like that on the ice. Oh, I know, and especially in northern Manitoba, it was like I don't know, minus five, no wind, sun was shining. Like we didn't even set up. Well, we set up a couple 
tents, but like we didn't even sit in them. We just all sat kind of together on the ice, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's it was like we we're fishing in April, but in December, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a super weird season in Manitoba here. That it's, you know, it's. I was listening to the radio the other day, and the radio was actually running a story on how the ice fisher people are upset in Manitoba and the snowmobilers because there's no snow and no ice kind of scenario. There's ice, but like, I mean, everyone's late. Um, I know the, the Lockport kind of the Lockport ice area out here. There's a, there's a big like production that gets put on now for this is supposed to be the second year. Oh yeah. And uh, they're behind too. They're, they're kind of like, really twirling their thumbs here trying to figure out what to do but uh yeah everyone's just like trying to figure out how to get on the ice a little quicker here i think yeah yeah it's been crazy um yeah it's good it's good in ways and it's kind of shitty in other ways too but take the good with the bad and like uh, i've talked to a few older older people i guess and kind of uh they're, the, everyone that I've talked to is always like, oh, it's good now, but it might mean a long, long winter. It might, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, something ba- ba- bad's ab- about to happen if there's a, if history ever has any play in it. But, um, yeah, but this episode, you weren't on this one. Um, did you get sick right before I had to do this one solo? I think, yeah, I got like sickness? sick like the day before, I think, right? So, we had an awesome guest. His name is uh, Eric Swanson. He is a pitcher for the for the Blue Jays, and considering this episode is going to come out in 2024, this is our first episode of the year. Who? Not a big deal. That's uh, we were established 2018, so that's what? That's year four now. No, that's way. Yeah. Can't even do year six. Can't even do the math. I'm so <laughs> so messed up over here. Somewhat year six would be like year, yeah, just under six because we didn't really get started till. March, I think, or something like that. Well, it even might have been later than that in 2018. I don't know. doesn't matter. But what are, what are your thoughts of having this many years of podcasting and you ever think we'd make it this far yet? No, they say all the businesses, like most of your businesses fail within five years, they say. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to last forever, baby. Yeah. Yeah. We're in for the long run now, our long haul. And, uh, but the thing that, that we, uh, for this podcast, I guess it's one thing that we do need is we do need to pay bills to make this thing happen. And there's a lot of companies and businesses that uh, have been helping us out throughout the year. So I want to thank them all generally with a big blanket of thank yous, but the one, uh, the one that's been uh, one of our newest ones and, and with us for hopefully a long haul is Badlands. Um, we've been wearing their stuff uh, all fall and been wearing it a little bit here in ice fishing season two. Um, but I just wanted to give them a huge shout out. They've, uh, they have been just a great sponsor and they've been hooking us up with the, the right clothes to be outside and be able to stay out longer, uh, enjoy, enjoy the outdoors. And we're just really happy to be working with them. So thanks to Badlands and all the crew out there, Badlands Canada and, uh, everyone else that's, uh, supporting us. Absolutely. I will say I haven't broke any of their stuff yet and that's there's something to be said about that yeah there is something to say about that because i remember one of the first times not the first times probably like the first few months hanging out with you and chase and starting to meet some of your other friends that's always what they said is that you guys it's not a it's not a fishing trip or a hunting trip unless a dry like broke something or wrecked something so yeah Yeah, i I snapped i snapped the rod on the ice yesterday so oh no way yeah 
just in nice. there. How's that old Yami running? Oh, she's purring, baby. Let me tell you. <laughs> that thing's sweet. That's a sweet unit. Oh, yeah. Heavy as, heavy as fuck, but, like, it moves. And I ever tell you that story? We're fishing West Hawk. It's a long no. story. Perfect. Fishing West Hawk with Chase, and I, we were towing all our gear in that, to, that trapper's toboggan. And I got Chase on the back of this Yamaha. So the thing's bottomed out. The front skis barely touching the snow. Things just screaming going across West Hawk. And that was a year where we had like a lot of snow, uh, which meant for like a very deep lake like West Hawk, um, not a great freeze. And we hit about 400 meters of slush. And I felt the back end dip. And so I just, I pinned that throttle down and let her bark. (laughs) <laughs> and somehow that Yamaha pulled us through all that slush, towing all that shit. That that trapper's t- that trapper toboggan was like packed to the tits with gear because that's when we just got our new insulated tent. So oh, yeah. we, we actually had to like figure out how to repack that thing. Um, so it had the auger and everything in it, right? So right. yeah, can't say one bad thing about that sled. <laughs> Yamaha Venture five hundred, fan cooled. Yeah. That's like the, I think that's like one of the best ice fishing rigs you can get as a fan cooled, like 500 something, a little bit smaller, but can still uh, tow a bit of weight. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to worry about it too much either. Yeah. Other than that, like, man, I don't have much to tell you about the intro. I mean, we had a, we had a really wicked 2023. I'm really looking forward to this year coming up. Like, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. It's been like, I'll also give like, um april and brendan a huge shout out to they've been uh coming on and 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 helping us out big time so it's been nice to have a bit of a team effort for for some of these um some of these episodes as life just continues to get busy and to have different perspectives and takes on things too it's been like a kind of a cool gift yeah it's been an awesome gift and um you kind of summed it out up nicely like having having them on board uh, it's like the panoramic vision, you know, like having a different, a wide view. Isn't that what panor- panoramic means? A wide view of things or something? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's great to have their perspectives. Um, the one thing that they are doing, uh, I think their little team effort is that um, panoramic bingo uh, ice fishing deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that on the internet or not. Anybody that's listening, you can join in. It's free to do. There's bingo cards on our website. Um, all you got to do is just take a picture with whatever corresponding square that that we ask for so it might say uh catch a fish or hold a fish wearing a wool love uh we just had an entry in today from your buddy sasha our buddy sasha jig and minnow fishing team and he had a picture of a fish wearing a wool love shirt so he he got that square and then once you get right now it's just a line so if you get a line for december you can you'll be entered to win a draw and i think december's uh prize is like i don't know a couple hundred dollars worth of gear so it's worth it it's free and uh yeah, it's fun to do so january and february are two more months and i think we're gonna be thanks to co-op gonna be giving away an ice fishing shack at the end of it so stay tuned for that because that might be a huge prize for your uh, blackout card yeah fun little game too some way to uh kind of bust up the, the winter there and maybe make your fishing a little bit more interesting too yeah that's right get everyone involved that's the fun thing about it um other than that man should we just like throw it down the pipe yeah can't wait to hear what eric has to say here so uh thanks for hopping on there eric 
Okay, well, today's guest, I'm happy to announce, uh, he was just actually at a Jets game, seen him on uh, on TV, I think, the other day, but uh, pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays, Eric Swanson. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I uh, really appreciate you taking some time, especially right before Christmas, to jump on. Uh, we've been kind of chit-chatting back and forth, talking deer stories and stuff, um, and to get you on to maybe talk some more about the outdoors is is a pleasure. So how we normally get our podcast started is we do five burning questions. Uh, you can answer these short form, long form, whatever you want. Pretty, pretty straightforward. There's no wrong answer, but I'm going to hit you with five of them and then we'll get started. How about that? Let's do it. Okay. So if you had one last meal on this earth, what would you have and what would you have to drink with it? Ooh, um, last meal. That's tough. Probably, probably like a good strip or a good ribeye. About as big as you could get me one, for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> and then glass of bourbon with it. Nice. Um, second question is, we do a lot of these, like, one last things. But if you did have one, like, concert you could go to, Alive or Dead, who would you go and see? Ooh. Dead would probably be probably Hank Williams. That's a good one. And then the live, my but my bucket list concert right now is to go see Hardy in concert. Oh yeah, nice. He's uh he, he's one of my favorite artists right now. Obviously, I mean I love country music, but I also like rock music as well. And I feel like he kind of twines both those in pretty good. Yeah, he also gets into like some almost like metal type uh, music every once in a while. Hey, so he's yeah, he got does. a good twist on it for sure inspiration this is like kind of a two-part question but if like would you have inspiration when you're growing up or do you have any like different inspirations now that keeps you going or keeps you getting out to the baseball field or the hunting field or whatever it may look like yeah i mean as far as baseball goes i think you know just my love for the game as it's kind of developed over the years as as i've kind of gone through every phase of my life whether it was you know little league baseball and high school baseball to travel to college to the minor leagues and now the big leagues, it's just constantly evolved my love for the game. And it, you know, I'd say that's the biggest thing that kind of keeps me going. And then, you know, my family being right up there with that as well as the the two driving factors for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, fourth question. We're ripping right through them. Uh, I call it the fuck you money, but if you had like a lump sum of money, just like fall out of the sky and you couldn't invest it and you couldn't help anyone. You just had to spend it on yourself. What would you buy? I'd go buy a giant ranch in Montana somewhere. <laughs> nice. No doubt uh, about that. No doubt about that, eh? And my last question for you before we get going here is if you weren't playing the game of baseball, what could you see yourself doing? Oh, man. I don't even know if I can answer that one. You know, fortunately, I haven't really had to think about that a whole lot. You know, I, I kind of always catch myself doing it, I guess. But even growing up, it was always kind of one of those things where it was – you know, let's pursue baseball. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll figure it out. But something outdoors, I'd have to be doing something outdoors. What that would be, I'm not 100% sure, but I couldn't be somebody that couldn't sit in a, an office all day behind a desk. It's just, it just doesn't really fit my personality. Yeah, I hear you there. I, um, you know, I, I grew up you know, obviously in Canada here and always had that dream of being a hockey player. And then when I was like, done playing hockey and was like oh i should go to university or should i go to college or <laughs> i had no idea what i wanted to do um and i just kind of the job that i'm in now i kind of just honestly it was just a recommendation from a friend and i went and pursued it and i'm still doing it so 
and super happy that I'm doing it. So that's that's great. There you go. Um, so why we wanted to have you on is probably there's a few different reasons. We've seen you on the news there in the fall time, uh, kind of getting some flack from a bunch of people. Do you want to maybe just briefly run me through that how that went down for you and what your thoughts were and maybe some opinions on it? Uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy few days, that's for sure. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm a very avid outdoorsman. Obviously, I'm on this podcast for a reason. Yeah. Um, but if, if anybody knows who I am and if anybody's followed me, whether it's my baseball career, if you followed me on social media, I've never shied away from posting my love and passion for the outdoors, whether it's hunting, fishing, snowmobiling, kind of all that stuff, you know, I've never shied away from putting it out there and it's, you know, it's never been to offend anybody. It's more so just to give people a look at my life away from baseball a little bit, because, you know, it's kind of most people look at me and watch me play and they just look, think of me as, as a baseball player. I do the same thing. I post about my family a decent amount as well and things that I'm doing with my kids. But yeah, so earlier this fall, one of the first things I do every year when the season is over with is I'm in a deer stand right away or I'm in a duck blind hunting birds, geese, whatever. And I was out with a couple of my buddies and my brother-in-law and we had a, a great shoot about, I don't know, 500 yards behind my in-law's house here. And we finished up and my son had just woken up, so I had him come out as we were picking decoys up and, and gathering birds and whatnot and kind of slowly starting to introduce him a little bit. I mean, he's three years old, so he's not old enough to, to be handling a firearm or anything like that yet. So, yeah, I brought him out with us, and he helped pick up some decoys and kind of helped line up the birds. Usually we take a picture after every hunt and, and just to kind of, I guess, document it for memories, stuff like that. I posted the picture. I don't know. It was, it was, it was fine for probably a day or two. There was, you know, my normal traffic on it. I got all my buddies that will comment on it. And occasionally I'll get the, the few different messages from people, how they disagree with it. And, and I usually try to do a decent job of responding back to some of those people as respectfully and, and politely as I can and try to, I guess, get them to understand why I do what I do and the benefits of it. Um, and that I'm not some evil person. And then a blog out of Toronto picked it up and ran a, a story on it. And from there, it just, it, it blew up. I was getting phone calls from many different people. I was getting plenty of DMs from news companies asking to do interviews and, and things like that. And on, I think it was on Twitter, I actually quoted that that blog and kind of explain myself and, and why I do what I do also kind of put it on as a, you know, explain the reasons as to what I'm trying to teach my son and the values of, of hunting and, and just life in general. Um, so that's what I had to say on that. And I, I didn't really take any, I didn't do any interviews with anybody because I said what I had to say type of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, over four or five days, there were plenty of, messages that that came into me i would say about 90 percent of them were positive people from our community that reached out and support and um which was great to see you know i, I get that quite a bit anyways but to see it at that level and, and some of the you know companies and people who actually reach out to me was pretty special 
uh and then about 10 percent of it was was pretty negative but yeah so the so the company or whoever it was out of toronto that wrote this blog what was their like outlying message like what were they trying to prove with this that like you just like murdered a murdered some birds so like what like what what was their perspective do you, do you know you know looking looking back at the article I, I don't think they were trying to take a stance one way or the other i think right. their message behind it was eric swanson takes his son out goose hunting and kind of let people who read their articles form their own opinions on it but you know, it, there wasn't really anything negative that were said. There's a few different um, messages that they had screenshotted from my original post that were negative comments. You know, it's kind of actually comical because one of my buddies, my, my really good buddies that I do a lot of hunting with, commented a, a sarcastic comment yeah. on it that was negative, but he was being sarcastic. And I, and I know that. And that was one of the messages that they had screenshotted and posted in the article. <laughs> So I was giving him some crap, like, you know, he started this whole thing, even though he didn't, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think they just put some of those messages up, and I think people kind of formulated their own opinion. And it uh, happened to be a few negative opinions towards what I, I guess, enjoyed doing. And mm-hmm. that's what initially led me to, to give my opinion on, on the whole thing when I commented back on Twitter yeah so that's the thing man like for us we've had i don't even know like 10 or 15 and maybe not 15 like let's say 12 retired athletes or athletes that are current on our on our podcast and we've talked about like social media posting and stuff that like that they're not posting because they don't want the flack or that you know kind of like the boundaries and the limits that they've put into place because of their profession or what what have you and then there's like the thing that sucks about it is that like our podcast, for instance, these are the things we love to talk about because like guys like yourself, the only time we actually get to see what you do in life is on the mound or in the field or whatever, right? Like playing baseball. So when you can like find out what these what these people are doing, like in their time off or like their downtime, you know, like we had Willie Mitchell on plays hockey or used to play hockey and he was talking about like that was his mental health days were like going out fishing like by himself, you know, and like he dealt with concussions and you know there's so many benefits to the outdoors but people are almost scared to show it because they're like oh man i'm gonna get shit on the internet so like i guess my sorry but my my, i guess my question the long-winded question would be like so where's your stance now do you have any changes that you might like move forward with or are you just gonna keep on doing what you're doing no i i'm proud of of who i am i'm proud of what i do i have i have no um What's the word I'm thinking of? I guess regret. regret. I have no plans to change any sort of, you know, posts in the, in the future. You know, again, it's, it's what I enjoy posting. If you look at my Instagram account, I bet 80% of what I follow is something that has to do with the outdoors and hunting and fishing. And that's the community that I like to be involved with. And I've met a lot of great people through, through the hunting and fishing community built a lot of great relationships over the years and you know I, I feel like my kind of my platform has, has led me to some of that uh, however again I just I feel like I have every right to share what I do with with people and um, you know if there's always going to be people that disagree with me and, and I understand that but 
I will always have that conversation with somebody that disagrees with me about explaining to them why I do what I do, the benefits of it, kind of what you said, the the mental side of it, because that's how I look at it too. Like I said, it's the first thing I do when I get home is kind of tell my wife, like, Hey, you gotta give me a few days just to go hop <laughs> in a deer stand. And it's just my, it's how I decompress after the season because I don't get to do much in season. You know, we play 162 games and we have maybe 18 off days. Right. Uh, half of those come on the road and the other half I'm spending them with my family. When, when we're in Toronto, if they're with me, hunting seasons aren't in, in the summertime for the most part, occasionally I'll try to get out and fish from somewhere where I can do some fishing, but yeah, I have, I have no regret with, with how I share my life on social media and, and I plan to continue to do that. Um, again, I, I try to do it in a respectful manner. I don't do it to offend anybody. And if somebody is offended and they want to have a conversation with me, I'm more than welcome to have a conversation with them about it. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's the thing too. Like no matter what we do in the outdoors community, there's always going to be someone that's going to be offended. It seems. And like, even just to have an opinion in today's world, you got if to have an opinion. You got to be, you got to risk offending someone. So that's like a two-sided coin, right? Like it's one way or the other, or it's not one way or the other, but um, kind of like, I want to kind of rewind it back a little bit. Uh, since we got this issue over and done with, <laughs> uh, like rewinding back, like where did it all start for you in the outdoors? Like, was it something that was, you know, you did when you were younger or something you found later in life? Like how did the outdoors start for you? Yeah. So being born in North Dakota, that's where I was born. My dad was always a, a big hunter, big fisherman. So I remember before we moved away, being around him when he was around, hunting whether he went pheasant hunting and and he brought pheasant home and we ate pheasant for dinner um or if he went deer hunting and you know he brought me with to to bring his deer to the processor or whatever it is so we could get you know food processed from that deer and bringing that home and eating it whether it was you know venison chili or burgers steaks whatever it may be uh, i always have that memory when i was super young and then i, I moved away when i was sorry moved away when I was six years old to Indiana and as I got a little bit older there probably like I don't know you want to say like nine maybe eight or nine is when I first went deer hunting uh, with one of my really good friends from there and his dad and my dad and I was probably 10 or 11 when I harvested my first deer I'll never forget his little little three-pointer and I ended up getting it with a 20 gauge slug gun because there you could only nice. hunt with with slugs and ever since then i just was kind of every year when the fall rolled around that's what we did whether we went rabbit hunting squirrel hunting deer hunting that's just kind of what i always enjoyed doing in the falls and you know fishing year round too there was was pretty big and then you know i bounced around a little bit i lived in ohio for a little bit and I don't want to say I got away from it, but it was just, I didn't have too many friends in Ohio that hunted. And so I'd always go back to Indiana usually once a year and try to plan like a week long hunting trip and do that as much as I can. And then, um, I moved back to North Dakota in 2015 and just kind of been hunting as, as much as I can. And then 2018 ish is when I got into waterfall and I never, never waterfall hunted before in my life up until then. So yeah and what do you think it is like i mean i've had this conversation with many people about let's just say hunting in general and 
and I've had this conversation a lot of like non hunters that are my buddies or whatever, and they have nothing against it, whatever. But like they're like, well, what is it? Like what? Like like I'll go hunting, I'll go deer hunting, and I'll sit like archery, muzzleloader, and rifle seasons. I'll sit in every season for like a week, and each season or longer, and I'm putting in endless hours, and then you know, doing just doing it and they always say well what is it and it's like it's not even the it's not even for me anyways it's not even like the kill it's not like you know yeah it's the food but like it's everything else it's the you know sitting around the shop having a beer blending a whiskey or it's the you know drives in the truck to go check cameras and it's like listening to the old boys tell stories those things for me are like really high up there on the spectrum and and even like getting my alone time in the stand uh, is does a is a huge part for me it's a it's a huge relief for me but like what is it for you like what brings you back to that deer stand or brings you back to that duck blind yeah i mean i think everything you just said you kind of hit on it perfect it's i mean you're exactly right it's it's not about the kill um obviously that's that's kind of the reward with everything but it's everything that that leads up to it you know i'll talk about just deer hunting in general but for me it's and I don't even get to do this part. And it's the one part I wish I could do is, you know, food plots in the, in the summertime, you know, my brother-in-law does everything for me because I'm not home in the summertime. He'll put cameras out and then he'll kind of set everything up. And that's like always my, my big thing that I look forward to right around like August is now I'm getting trail cams pictures sent to my phone and I'm in Toronto and I wake up in the morning, I get to look at them and it gets me excited for that. And, you know, like I said, food plots, being able to do that. That's one thing that I've always wanted to do, but I just have never been around for it. Um, and then it's, it's just kind of being out there. It's just, the, it's the peace and quiet. It's being alone uh, with deer hunting. And then you, you get to kind of like our rifle season every year. It's a two week season. And it's, it's almost like a holiday. It's some right. people take off work for it. I'd say most, most guys take off work for it. And you kind of have your, your night before the season opens where everybody gets together and you have big dinner, you're grilling, you're having drinks, you're playing poker, stuff like that. It's the conversations. It's the, the camaraderie, everything that kind of goes into that, that time of year. That's what I look forward to. And then, like I said, the, if you ever get, if you, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to harvest an animal, then that's kind of the bonus to me. And then for me, another fun part is, you know, then processing that we try to process everything mm -hmm. our own and we'd spend a half a day to a day doing that. And we're making summer sausage. We're making brats. We're grounding venison and, and packaging it individually. You're cutting your steaks. You're trying new recipes of different things. And then you get a chance to, to then try that. And then you make notes for the next year. If you yeah. like that, you didn't like that. Um, there's just, there's way more that goes into it. And then, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a good deer that's on camera too, it's, it's, it can be the history that you build with a certain deer. I was telling you before we started recording here that, you know, I had a, first time I saw this deer was last year as a younger deer, as a 10 pointer, really, really good genetics. I knew he was young. I let him go last year. I had him on camera again. Uh, he came back. I was excited. Had him in velvet from August all the way to the middle of September. Had pictures of him out of velvet. He was around. Was like indecisive on if I wanted to to shoot him or not. And I decided I wasn't going to because I wanted to let him 
get another year older and get even more mature. And unfortunately, a neighbor ended up harvesting that deer and uh, he was nice enough to let us come over and look at it the, the day after he ended up shooting it. So yeah. I kind of closed that chapter, I guess. But even even that, it's just the amount of time and the effort that you put into it. Financial, financially, it, it's it's not a an easy thing to do either because it can get expensive. But um, there's just way more that goes into it than I think most people understand. And those are the things that I try to kind of tell people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing that you mentioned earlier in the podcast is like you taking your son out to the blind, like a three-year-old and just to dip his toes in it. And, you know, it kind of makes, makes me think of the time it was about last winter. My dad uh, traps a bit of coyotes and took my four-year-old nephew out <laughs> to go, go and check traps. And my dad didn't know if it was going to be a cry fest or he'll be happy or what to see like this dog, right. In and in a snare, but it all worked out. And, and Henry was super happy to, you know, and it's pretty cool to get kids into it at a young age. And if it's just, just kind of show them the ins and outs, like they'll never forget it. Right. Like I remember being young and waiting for dad to come home from the archery stand. And, you know, I, I didn't really know what the hell he did until dark, but I knew that the odd time he'd come home with a deer and it was super exciting. So uh, it's pretty cool that you, you got to do that with your son. Yeah, it's you know it's the memories. It's think about how many times you've gotten together with family or friends that you've shared the outdoors with, and how many times do you say, "Ha, oh, you remember that that time? You know, back in whatever year it was when you know we did this, we did that, or you know that hunt that we went on. How many times that you talk about past hunts that you've been on and the memories that you've created? Then to me, that's a great thing about the outdoors as well as you get to create those memories and then look back on them and yeah. hopefully create more down the line. Yeah. And the, and the history there too. Like I've got pictures, I've seen pictures like my old man with like a bunch of snow geese on the ground, you know, around where we grew up. And like now you don't even see a snow goose that, that flight, like that flight pattern has changed. It's totally to, to the West right now. So it doesn't come even come close to us. So like if you can even have those types of pictures, right? Like for us, the moose in, in Manitoba, the numbers are declining. Like, you never know. Maybe by the time, you know, our sons and, and the younger generation come through, maybe there might not be, like, a moose hunt. So to have those pictures are, are definitely there for, like, the history and, and all that. That's great. I have to – I do have to ask you, and I think it's doing justice to the baseball fans that listen to the podcast, but how did you intertwine baseball growing up with, with your outdoor love? Like, the, was that something that just came right from the start too, or were you, were you playing a bunch of sports or – What'd that look like? Yeah, so I mean, I played as many sports as I could growing up. I played football, baseball, basketball. Baseball was always kind of the the sport that I really stuck to. Um, I always had a love for baseball from a really young age, the most. And then I think as I got a little bit older, football started to become a little bit more prevalent as well. Um, and then throughout high school, kind of understood that you know there was no future in football and still had the same love for baseball and decided to pursue that a little bit heavier and and you know play travel ball and do some of the stuff like that over the summer times so it was for the most part it was always baseball 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 in the spring summer and then you know a couple years playing in the fall if I had time with football but yeah just trying to do as, as many sports as I could and always stay outside so yeah and then when, when did it happen for you when you're like God, I'm going to do this right till I can't, you know, like, I mean, there must have been there. There's obvious ups and downs and no matter what career path you take, 
And I would assume in baseball must get fucking tough some days, right? Like things aren't clicking, right? Or for a month. Like, but when when was it for you? And you're like, no, this is this is how I'm going. As far, I'm going to try to go as far as I can. Yeah. Um. Honestly, is like probably wasn't until after I got drafted that I really understood that I had what it took. High school, you know, I I knew I was always good, but I didn't really know the the level of talent that I had, I guess. Right. And I had an opportunity. I went and played junior college ball. I played for two years. I played at two separate schools. Um, and I would say it was probably my sophomore year. I went to, I was at Iowa Western Community College. And it was probably that fall when I first really got into a weight room and really got on a good weight program. And I saw a lot of progress and strides that I had made on the field. And the attention that I was getting from from college scouts and professional scouts, that was probably the first time where I was like, okay, I, I think I have what it takes. It's just a matter of getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was fortunate enough, I got drafted. And, you know, it probably wasn't until my second year in pro ball where I really understood that, you know, I, I actually had what it took. It was just convincing myself that and and being able to get over that hump. And, but there are plenty of times along the way where I really struggled and had didn't really know kind of you have that doubt in your mind, I guess. You know, do I really have what it takes to play at the big league level? So there's, a, there's a few of those crossroads, and I think every player has some of those. And then I was just able to kind of to get through them, and a couple seasons just kind of solidified in my mind that, that I had what it took. Nice. And um, April 11th. 2019 do you remember what day that was i do how was that feeling that was where you debuted in the major leagues eh? yeah um yeah it was it was quite the the day that's for sure it was i think i had spent three days or two prior days in the big leagues before i actually debuted so i had a little bit of time to kind of let everything soak in which was nice i debuted out of the pen at the time i was a starter I came up through the minor leagues as a starter, broke into the big leagues as a starter. Uh, it just so happened that the day they needed somebody to get called up, it was supposed to be my start day, and, and it just worked out, so they put me in the pen. But, yeah, it's it was it happened quick. I, I mean, I kind of blacked out, to be completely honest. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of parts of that day that I don't remember trying to look back on it. Uh, but there's a few things that stand out, and, and you know, I remember – remember being on the mound and after I threw the first pitch threw a strike and I was kind of like a sigh of relief. Like, okay, like now, now we get to do this. Let's go. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine it. Cause I don't even know. Like, I don't know what that professional feeling in baseball would be like. Like I, I bet it was be pre- pretty crazy, but like in uh, 2022, you got traded to Toronto so coming North to the border. What, like, what was that feeling like? I mean, Toronto's the, like, it's like you're playing for team Canada in a way. And, not Team Canada, but you're representing Canada. It's our only team here. What was that feeling like coming north? Yeah, I mean, from the get-go, I was excited about it. I had been to Toronto a couple times prior. I had never actually never pitched at Rogers Center before. Um, I just it never kind of lined up with me, I guess. Uh, but we were there in 22 for the Wild Card Series when I was with Seattle, oh, yeah. and even you know, I I said all this stuff before I even got traded. But I remember thinking during that series, like this place is unbelievable. It is so loud in here. I couldn't imagine being on the other side and, and feeding off of that. 
right being being a, a blue jay and i ended up i got the call if you're listening to this episode we know you love local and so do we that's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op co-op is in over 600 communities across western canada with over 2 million members co-ops are a member driven organization that serve the local community you can check out co-ops for all your food fuel home and construction as well as agricultural needs a membership costs you ten dollars to get in and you're going to see that back in equity you don't need a membership to shop at co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs for groceries if you want to shop online you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets there's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small, and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada Voted the cleanest bathrooms, they have full service at most locations, and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. I got the call... Actually, ironically, I was in Montana. I was on a mule deer hunt when uh, the GM of Seattle called me and said they were trading me to Toronto. And then Ross Atkins actually called me while I was out there as well. I, I didn't even have service. I had to drive like 20 miles to, to be able to call somebody back. Um, I knew what was going on. I had a pretty good idea. Like, okay, I had GM calling me. He's only calling me for one reason, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember right from the get-go being excited. Uh, obviously, there's always a little bittersweetness that comes with it. You know, I was in Seattle for four years. I built a lot of really good relationships there. But I think Toronto was just kind of the perfect fit. You know, it's I knew from experience how great that place is. I don't know Toronto, or at the time, I didn't know Toronto very well as a city. But I think just from having initial talks with my wife, you know, we were both really excited to get out there and obviously spending my first full year there it was it was incredible we had an awesome time there yeah yeah toronto i mean they've got some rich history there i don't think they're going anywhere like they got a great team i think that like as in relocation or anything like that they're not going anywhere they're solidified in the league i think it's a great place to i think to play baseball for sure what is it like to be an outdoors person in the in like a baseball atmosphere is there other teammates or anybody in like the on the team trainers or whatever it may look like that are also in the outdoors or you guys can kind of like sit back and chat or, or do you find yourself as like the odd man out 
Yeah. I mean, I usually try to seek those people out whenever <laughs> if I meet somebody new, um, you know, I was in Seattle for four years. So a big bulk of that team was kind of the same, but anytime somebody new comes in, I always try to get to know somebody. And that's usually one of the first things I'll ask is, yeah. you know, do, do you hunt or fish? And there's, there's a lot more guys than people think that are really involved in the outdoors guys that love to hunt guys that love to fish and it kind of goes back to what you said earlier about some people just don't want to put that out because they don't want the negative attention their way even though there's a lot of positive that comes from it as well and you know i won't name any names but um i mean there's there's a lot of guys throughout the league that are i think pretty vocal about it as well i think most people know who those guys are but you know like i remember one of the guys adam wainwright pitcher for the cardinals just retired this year played forever 18 seasons i think but i remember as a kid watching him hunting tv shows yeah Um, he was playing for the cardinals at the time and that's kind of when my real love really got into the game of baseball and in the outdoors and seeing a major league pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals who's on this hunting show on the outdoor channel was like, that was the coolest thing ever to me. And um, somebody that can be vocal about it as well and, and kind of share their passion for it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot more guys than I think people think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's no matter where you go, there's always the outdoor crew or the outdoor guys or, or women or whatever it may look like. And if it's kind of funny, I'll tell you a quick story. We just had a Brett Kissel on a, about a month or so ago and he's a country singer in canada here and we kind of asked him the same sort of question framed it up like is there anybody in the industry that you know you've touched base with and you're like oh man you're a hunter too and he was telling us a story that he was opening up for morgan wallen and um i guess they kind of had a quick conversation and morgan wallen's like hey man show me that deer you shot that deer you sent hardy so like he sent a picture to hardy showing like bragging about this deer hardy showed morgan wallen morgan wallen you know, asked at breast kiss like, Hey man, let's see this deer. So there's a lot of people like in all over the world that obviously love the outdoors and just don't show it as much maybe, or whatever it may be. So. Yeah. I think it's just kind of like you said, some people just probably just don't want to deal with it, especially guys like that, that are, you know, I I consider myself a very low on the totem pole when it comes to professional athletes and people are in the spotlight. I don't really consider myself in the spotlight very much. But a lot of those people that have to deal with so much other stuff as well, you know, I think it's just one of those things where they're like, well, why add on to it type of thing? You know, I already deal with it enough as it is and just kind of keep that part of my life private. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that your uh, GM phoned you and you're on a trip. Do you try to find like those like trips every year? Like what what are some of the animals that you've been after? Like what what are you looking forward to? Yeah. I usually try to go on a trip every year with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. We were kind of doing the every other year type of thing. And I think, you know, we kind of got so obsessed with going out West that we're trying to now do it every year, trying to go on some sort of destination hunt. I went to Colorado in 2020 uh, for a elk hunt and came up unsuccessful, but just again, the, the kill is not, the whole story to to those type of hunts it's you know spending six days in the mountains in a in a wall tent or a canvas tent with you know six other guys and being able to share those moments and and hiking up mountains places that you've never been before new scenery um 
building new relationships with guides, stuff like that. You know, that's kind of what got me hooked. That was my first ever, I'd say, big trip out somewhere else. I'd been to Western North Dakota in the past, uh, archery hunting, but we went on a rifle hunt out there. And then 21, we didn't do anything. Actually, I went to Western North Dakota in 21, public land, whitetail hunting. And I was fortunate enough to harvest a, a deer then. And then 22 was the year I said we went out to Montana. Um, and then we tried to go in th- again this year, but we didn't draw. Oh, yeah. That's for a mule? Yeah, I mean, mule, deer? mule deer. Actually, it's combo, so it's whitetail or mule deer. Okay. Had a chance at one, kind of <laughs> screwed it up, didn't end up getting one. My father-in-law got a, uh, a pretty nice mule deer. It was his first ever mule deer. And then actually next year we're trying to we're thinking about buying a preference point in Montana instead of applying. And then we're actually thinking about going to Saskatchewan next year for a whitetail hunt. Oh nice. What's so what's a preference point or whatever you said compared to applying? What does that look like? So in like each state is different. You know, some states if you apply and you don't draw, you accumulate a preference point. Right. And then other states, you the only way to gain a preference point is to buy a preference point without drawing. So this year we kind of messed it up because, again, the whole applying for other states is a little bit new to us. We thought that we could apply to Montana. And then if we didn't draw, buy a preference point and we weren't able to do that. So we kind of wasted a year of applying because in Montana, at least the we're doing um it's like a, a general tag is kind of what it is. So it's not an mm-hmm. individual unit. And if you have no preference points, it's like, a, I believe it's 54% draw odds. But if you have one preference point, it goes to like 17%. Oh, yeah. But then if you go to two, it goes to like 100%. Oh, yeah. So that's why we we're, we talked about buying a preference point this year, or sorry, for next year. And then buying another one for 2025 and applying with two of them. So our odds are much better. Way better, yeah. So that's why we're thinking of just buying a preference point in Montana for next year. But we're still trying to figure out a trip to go on. And we've been looking at certain areas in Saskatchewan to go to. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, Saskatchewan has got some fucking huge deer over there. I mean, Manitoba, I think we we have some really great deer opportunities here. But the only thing that we don't have is we can't bait here, right? So you can go and sit over bait in Saskatchewan or like food plot or whatever you want. But like here it's there's like, you can't do that. Like it's highly illegal. Right. So yeah, um, that's kind of sucks because Saskatchewan gets a lot of that outfitting uh, hunting money through, through their province. And I think our outfitters would love to have that opportunity because they could bring in a lot more hunters. But um, is there, what do you got on the list of like kind of animals that you do want to pursue though? Like whitetail, obviously mule deer, have you ever thought of like the bigger game, like elk or moose? Yeah. So elk is definitely, um, high on my list as well. Like I said, we went out in 2020 to Colorado on an elk hunt and, and I, I do want to do that again at some point. I think it's just trying to figure out where we want to go is the biggest thing. Number one on my bucket list is to shoot an elk with my bow, but yeah it's you know i'm playing that time of year every year you know early september you know when when they're running and they're bugling you know that's that's when everybody's out with their bows and i just don't have the time to do it because you know hopefully every year i'm playing well into october and november it's kind of what i plan for so i can never book a hunt because yeah 
I just, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So that will be a, a post playing career type thing. I still have yet to shoot a mule deer. So that's on my bucket list as well. I think black bear would be another one that's, that's on my list. We have a lot of them around here. I just have never, never done it. Um, right. Not a lot of people around here that do it, I guess. There's a few, but um, I think I would need some assistance with that. And I think moose for sure would be up there as well. Yeah. I'm like, it's kind of funny because there's uh, four of us that, that run panoramic and me and my buddy Tristan, we both partners and, and been hunting partners for years and stuff, but he's like kind of the elk guy and I'm the moose guy. I'm just obsessed with moose hunting. And then this past year I went on an archery elk hunt and we were successful, got a five by five. And now I'm like, fuck, I think I'm elk, elk hunting obsessed now. So it's going to be, might be a very busy year coming up. Yeah. But, I, it's there could be worse problems i guess i could be addicted to cocaine or heroin or something so you know there's definitely way worse things you could be doing where'd you <laughs> where'd you elk hunting at we uh we all hunted here in manitoba it's called the inner lake region it's basically just a big bush and it's really brutal because like you know we had jay scott on a couple weeks ago he and he hunts a lot in arizona for elk and mule deer and, and down south of mexico for like coos deer and stuff like that and he was like talking about like glassing and you know doing all these things and we're kind of picking his brains like well what about if you have a bush that you like can't even see 20 yards through like what do you do then you know you know it's like get very vocal and do this and do that so yeah our elk hunting has been uh, in the inner lake there's lots of elk in there but there's it's just basically big bush and very flat so it's it's hard to hard to pinpoint them but yeah have, yeah it's fun man it's super fun and then moose hunting, we go all the way up north. Like I've moose hunted right up in Churchill, Churchill, Manitoba, which is like the polar bear capital of the world. So, yeah, it's fun. It's hunting's the best. Yeah, it is. That's that's awesome. Yeah, man. I have a few more questions for you before I let you go. But one baseball related one is like um, I kind of touched on it about like other guys that like hunting and fishing. But do you ever like show up to the work or to baseball? With like a bag of jerky and everyone's just like, what the fuck is that, man? Like, what are you yeah. doing? Um, uh, what year was that? 20, was it 2022, 2021 maybe? I went down to spring training in Arizona when I was still with Seattle. And every year I try to pack a cooler with me with with venison that, that I've harvested from the previous year. Just because I'm down there for, you know, two plus months every year. So it's right. an easy way for me to bring food instead of having to go and, and buy stuff as well. But I remember I brought down a bunch of summer sausage and, and like snack sticks that I had made. And I had a bunch of people that were asking me for it, coaches, players. <laughs> and I, you know, I'd love to share any venison that I have with other people, especially people that one have never tried it or two, I know that really enjoy it, but don't hunt themselves. Um, so I, it was like, I think I had it for like a week and I had already handed it all out pretty much. Um, yeah. but every single, every single one of them were like, Oh, you gotta have, you gotta bring more. You gotta bring more. Like, you know, when's your wife coming down? Can she bring some with you type of thing? <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, I enjoyed doing that and, and have yet to really meet somebody that when I give some of my venison to, they don't enjoy it. Yeah. And it's so kind of crazy in a way, like same thing like in my, kind of my realm of my world is like my non-hunting friends and you know you go snowmobiling or whatever and they look forward to the deer sausage or they look forward to the sticks or whatever and it's just like i get it like i think it's good but it's like 
is it really like that much better than like a pork you know what i mean like a pork sausage or something what is it like is it is it really that good and it often makes me think about stuff with that the other thing i was going to ask you too is like your you mentioned your father-in-law got that mule deer uh you've talked about some of the deer that you've harvested but like do you guys have any like traditions uh, in your family and friends of like after you harvest a deer like is it a shot of scotch or is it nothing or is there anything like that you guys do for a tradition after uh, harvesting an animal I think it depends on kind of the group that I'm with. So right. like when I went out, out west to Western North Dakota in 2021 and I shot my whitetail out there, I remember bringing, I brought a really nice bottle of bourbon with me and I said, we're only cracking this open when we're celebrating one of us being successful. <laughs> and so I remember being in, we hauled a, a fish house out there and we stayed at a, one of my buddy's family's ranches and, so the night after we got done cutting the deer up and everything, we all had a couple couple of drinks of a really good bourbon. Um, and then up here, when I'm at my in-laws in Minnesota, where if we deer hunt up here, our, our big thing is, you know, we bring the deer back and we skin it, we cut it up, and we always have a couple cold ones while we're doing that. Yeah, yeah, same with us. I know, like I was mentioning Tristan earlier, elk hunting, he bought a very nice bottle of wine for our first elk hunt and he's like we're not cracking this till we get an elk but needless to say that elk that bottle of wine put on a lot of miles for the next four years because <laughs> we still we still haven't opened it me yeah and him, so me him and his brother chase yeah i know at, like our place too like we have uh we usually have a nice bottle of scotch and if we get a good deer we'll have a have a nice little schnick of that and 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 the same thing like you mentioned like having the the preseason party or whatever we usually have one of those every year and get all fucking wild so that's no. fun man that's a, it's a good time of the year yeah it makes it tough to get up that next morning oh yeah i think actually <laughs> was it this year or last year i think i was there's a six of us i think i was the only one that made it out no i didn't make it out opening morning this year unfortunately i was one of the bad ones i guess but and you're talking about archery hunting. I mean, that's one of the things that we like to do a lot in our group. Uh, what are you kind of equipped with? Like, what do you, and like, how'd you get started in archery? Like, where'd that start? Yeah. So I started, I think I started pretty young, like probably right around the same time that, that I shot my first deer with, with a shotgun is when I first started shooting a bow. I had a, gosh, I don't even know how old it was. It was it probably was my, might have been my dad's or he maybe bought it for me like a used older PSE bow and oh, yeah. I was shooting no release. I was shooting fingers. Like, you know, I was a young kid just kind of shooting targets, having fun with it. And it was always every year, like trying to get to the poundage that we could get to, to, to shoot a deer. I think it was like 45 pounds is kind of what we had our, our mark set at. Right. Um, and I don't remember how it might've been like sixth grade, maybe sixth, seventh grade, maybe when I first got to the weight that I could harvest a deer with and, and still be ethical and ended up one of my very first hunts. I ended up shooting a doe for my first ever deer I shot with a bow. And then from there on out, I was kind of hooked and I've been on a pretty big dry spell of, of shooting a deer with my bow the last few years, but I just, I like shooting too, you know, I like going out and yeah, uh, practicing and shooting a little bit longer range as well. And, but yeah, bow hunting, it's, I always tell people like if there's, if, especially for the non hunters, like guys that I play with, 
guys that have interest in hunting, but you know, they don't know anybody that has land or they don't have friends that hunt with them. I always explain it as like, do you remember how you felt during your debut? I was like, your adrenaline will match what you felt if you ever shoot a deer with a bow for, for yeah. your first time, even, even after your first time. I mean, there's been many times where I'll shoot a deer and I'll call, you know, my brother-in-law or a buddy of mine and, I probably sound like an idiot over the phone because I'm so <laughs> jacked up and, and so excited. There's just, to me, there's no feeling like shooting a deer with a bow. Yeah, no kidding. I've got like oh, so many memories of, of archery hunting and being ses- successful, but like I'm in the same boat as you the last few years. I haven't shot anything with my bow and it's, it gets frustrating, but it's just like, I mean, I could, like, I mean, I could shoot a doe or I could shoot a small buck, but like, you know what I mean? Like if, if it was for meat, yeah, it could be done day one, but it's just like, it's a little bit different. And for us up here, we start in the end of August. So, I mean, it's like the perfect time of the year to be sitting uh, other than swatting the odd mosquito, but it's nice out. You know what I mean? So yeah. our trending is by far my favorite. When I was 22, so like just about 15 years ago, I shot a bull moose with my bow. And when you talk about adrenaline and like sounding like and dumbass on the phone, like I wish we would have recorded the phone call I made to my dad to like tell him I got one. And he would like, he was, he didn't believe me. He was like, did you shoot him in the guts? And I'm like, no, he fucking shot him in the engine room. You know, like just pop. <laughs> but like, and then the other thing is too, is like emotions. Like, the, and for me, like I, like cried like i was so proud of myself like no one will ever take that feeling away it's it's unbelievable yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty special moment when that actually happens because you know it's a lot of hard work that goes into it as well yeah you don't just get up and put your camel on and go out to a stand and something walks by there's there i mean the amount of hours that i have put into bow hunting in my life and and if i would you know told somebody how many deer i shot they'd probably be like that's it well you know kind of the same thing it's like i can shoot plenty of deer if i really wanted to but you know i've also gotten to the point too where i try to only shoot mature deer and where i'm at we have so many hunters and there are so many people that don't think that way which you know it, it is kind of what it is you know some people like to go out and they like to just kind of, you know, enjoy the the rifle season with their friends. And, you know, they like to shoot a deer that like come back to camp and talk about it and celebrate, which is great. You know, that's awesome. But I don't know, to me, I've kind of just gotten to the point to where, you know, I've, I've shot enough, you know, 130 plus inch whitetail to where I want to start getting closer to, you know, that 150 mark, that 160 mark, if I'm lucky and, you know, let deer grow and and get mature and kind of have those options as I guess the herd kind of develops a little bit more over time. Because like I said, if I want meat, I can now go shoot a doe. I I do that every year anyways, but yeah. Yeah. What's North Dakota like for like hunting? And I don't know if you can elaborate on it more. But like, what is it like for like hunting numbers and stuff? Like, I just find up here in Manitoba, like we're basically neighbors, or we are neighbors. But like, our hunting numbers are going down. Like, I, I don't think there's as many hunters as there were, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago. What's it like in North Dakota? Is it still like everyone and their dog out hunting? Like, is I have like this vision. It'd be like close to like Wisconsin, where there's like 20,000 or more hunters, or whatever it may look like. Yeah, I think it just depends on where you're at. I think there are certain areas there's zones 
Um, North Dakota is a little bit different. Like I've only ever rifle hunted North Dakota one time. Um, I'm still a resident of North Dakota, even though I'm moving to Minnesota, but you know, and ironically, even living in North Dakota, I've always done most of my deer hunting in Minnesota, but it just kind of depends on where you're at in, in North Dakota. Like there's different zones that for rifle hunting, even as a resident, you have to apply. It's not over the counter. You can't just go buy a, a whitetail tag or a mule deer tag. You have to apply and you have to draw. It's a lottery system. In Minnesota, where I hunt, I'm in northern Minnesota. We're okay, 15 miles from Manitoba, but everything is over the counter here. And there is a very big um, hunting community that's here, especially for rifle season. I would say there's not very many people that bow hunt. Mm-hmm. which is when I enjoy doing most of my hunting anyways. But uh, for rifle hunting, there's there's a ton of people. And it's as soon as opening morning hits at 530 in the morning when it's pitch black and you drive out to the highway to go to wherever your hunting property is at, you're, I mean, you're passing 20 cars. And right. I could drive I could drive to town at, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and pass not pass 20 cars on a normal given day. Um, but... <laughs> hunting season rolls around and people come out of the woodworks for it yeah the orange army yeah <laughs> right on okay man um eric i got one more question for you before i let you go i want to know the story behind you getting a winnipeg jets jersey delivered to you to toronto and then you coming to winnipeg to watch a game what's the story behind that yeah so, so like i just mentioned I'm moving to northern Minnesota, where my wife is from, a little town called Roseau, Minnesota. Uh, my in-laws have a, a cottage on Lake of the Woods on the Manitoba side. And this year for the All-Star break, I went, I came back here and we went up to their cabin. And I spent my few days of during my All-Star break here. And somehow somebody got word of it. I don't, I don't know how. Winnipeg um, presser reached out to me and asked to do an interview. So I did an interview and kind of just asked about everything and, you know, where I'm moving to, why I'm moving there, you know, spending those few days on Lake of the Woods, which is where I also do a pretty decent amount of ice fishing in the wintertime. I snowmobile there. And one of the questions was, is I think he asked me if I'd ever gone to a Jets game. And I said, no, it's on my bucket list because there's a lot of Jets fans around here and everybody said that's one of the best places to watch a game. So I said, that's on my bucket list. And somebody with the Jets saw that article and they reached out to our media guys in Toronto, said they wanted to send a Jersey to me. And so I sent a Jersey kind of did this whole video thing of opening it up and putting it on, took some pictures. And then after they said that this off season, pick a date and bring my family to and and they'll get us up to a game so yeah we settled on on last weekend when they played colorado and great game to watch by the way yeah it was a killer game it couldn't work out any better it was you know battle first place while we were there yeah they won six to two it was it was killer after the game i got to take a little tour of of the locker room i met adam lowry who's a really big blue jays fan oh nice Uh, and he was super great he actually showed me and my family around for probably an hour in the clubhouse and we just kind of talked shop for a while but it was it was great we had a blast right um are you and are you a hockey fan in general like before this kind of 
little parade? I would say over the last few years, I'm getting into it a lot more, especially now yeah. being where I'm at. You know, I got my son on skates now. He's three years old. Roseville, Minnesota, where we're at, is a, is a very big hockey town. And <clears throat> I don't know, anytime they have a high school has a home game, we're always going to the games. And so I've started started to watch a lot more hockey now. Yeah. Roseville, Minnesota, is that where the Players Factory is? Or Articat, I mean? That's where Players is at, yeah. Players is there? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Um. And then, so when you're at the Jets game, what did you think about, like, the atmosphere there? Like, I've been to a handful of games. I haven't been to many NHL games, if any, at, at different locations. But the one in Winnipeg, man, like, the crowd will make your hair stand up on your skin, like, during O Canada and when they score a goal. It's pretty cool. Like, what was your experience there? Was it – did you feel the same vibe or what? Yeah. No, it was it was incredible. It lived up to the hype for sure. I had went to Minneapolis a couple of years ago to watch a wild game. And, and that place is incredible. But compared to Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg's not as big. Right. But the the atmosphere and the crowd there is like tenfold. It was yeah. it was it was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah, and I guess just to kind of wrap up here, unless you have anything left left for me, I just wanna say a few things here is like uh I kind of said at the start, but I really appreciate taking time, like I said, before the holidays to jump on the podcast. I love talking, um, hunting with people that I don't know because you can kind of pick their brain and, and see how, you know, how hunting is in a different part of the world, even though we are like neighbors. And, and the last thing I do want to say, too, is that if you ever are back up in Manitoba, maybe this winter um, or anytime, uh, look us up, man. We'd love to take you out fishing on, on Lake Winnipeg, go for some greenbacks or anywhere else. Got an awesome ice fishing fishery up here. So, anytime you're coming through, let us know. We'll, we'll take you out. And uh, good luck in this upcoming season, and, and all the best, yeah. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. No, that'd be that'd be killer to go up to, to Winnipeg. That's that's on my bucket list too, for sure. Yeah, anytime, man. Let's, uh, let's make it happen. But uh, have a good have a good holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you as well. I appreciate you for having me on. And happy New Year! That's episode 169 what'd you think about that one tristan did you listen to a little bit of it uh editing or what'd you think yeah like you said uh eric seems like a, a sweet guy and uh it sounds like he's gonna be heading out maybe not our way but close enough later to do some fishing so i hope you extended to him the old uh catfish invite there too oh yeah absolutely catfish told him uh come up for some walleye fishing uh, on lake winnipeg and uh ice fishing but i think he was like off to florida for maybe some vacay and then he'll be going to training spring training camp um i don't know when they start that probably in like february march maybe i'm not too sure but yeah super cool guest i i really enjoyed talking with him and even when we got done recording we kind of sat back and chatted a little bit about maybe some ice fishing he might be doing in <clears throat> in lake of the woods uh in early january so you know he's uh yeah, he's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> I really enjoyed chatting with him. So we actually sent him a shirt and a hat. So hopefully he'll rock that out maybe at the maybe a Blue Jays game or something. Who knows? I'm just going to assume he's wearing it under his jersey at all times. Well, yeah, I'm assuming he would too. But uh, speaking of hats and shirts and everything else, if you're looking to buy something to support us financially, I mean, buying some merch is a, is a good way to do it. You can do that by going to www.panoramicoutdoors.com. And if you go in there, you can check out all of our stuff. We've got hoodies and T-shirts and hats and be, uh, 
beanies. I don't think we have any left. And maybe some buffs, whatever you're, whatever you're looking for. Hopefully we have it. And if we don't have it, send us a message, email us, let us know what you're looking for. Or even if you had like an idea of a different color design that you might want, let us know. We can change it up and hopefully get something that you're looking for. And while you're on there, you can find that bingo card like I was saying earlier. You can find recipes. You can find blog posts. And you can find little write-ups about who we are as a, as a group, uh, what we want to represent, what we want to bring to the table. Uh, if you can't support us that way, I mean, you can always give us a like or comment uh, or a rating on your podcast platform or uh, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Look at that. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Yep. And if we don't see you on the ice, uh, we'll just say, like, keep that pitching arm warm. Yeah. uh... (laughs) Don't put tar on, what is it? Don't put tar on your balls? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's tar. What do they call that now? It's uh, resin, some sort of resin. Right. Yeah. I wonder if Bowax would work. I don't know. Maybe. I'll have to ask Eric. Yeah, Eric, I'll try this out. Send him a. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, wrap this up without uh, saying goodbye. Give it the old kiss of goodbye. 